Time now to talk a little Utah football. We do the red and the blue every Friday. Time for the red with the former Ute, Kyle Gunther, right now. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease in a handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store near you. Kyle, good morning. BJ, PK, how are you guys? We are doing well. I'm curious. I don't want you to lie to us like you usually do, Kyle. I want the <laughs> truth. 2.15 comes on Saturday afternoon. Are you going to watch your Utes, your boys? You're red through and through. You played at the U, but it's Idaho State, and you know you're much, much better than them. Or are you going to kind of drop in, check the score, maybe have a second screen going, maybe have it down on, you know, your phone. But really, you're watching BYU-USC to get the scouting report for the conference opener Friday night in L.A. Well, BYU-USC is a more intriguing game, you're right, and then you got to get a look at what USC's doing. But I am excited for Utah-Idaho State because Utah's going to be playing a lot of backups. You saw some of that against NIU. The Utes are trying to figure out their depth, and that's a storyline to keep an eye out for. But, yes, my son has a soccer game. There's a lot going on. Uh, I got buddies that are trying to say, uh, can we go tailgating at 10 or 11 a.m.? So it's at least better than, what was last week, an 11 a.m. kickoff? So, uh, you know, if you're trying to party and hang out and make it an all-day event, the 2 p.m. kickoff is nice because you don't have to get there at 6 or 7 in the morning or do any of that nonsense. But the youth need to figure out what their rotation is in the secondary and uh, on the offensive line. They had a new center, right guard, and right tackle against NIU. So if you're interested in the long-term health of Utah, keep an eye out for some backups. You're going to see a lot of Jordan Wilmore at the running back spot. So, yeah, there's still some storylines to keep an eye out for, but the Utes should score 50 against Idaho State. So on that offensive line, Kyle, they kept a couple of guys out. Uh, Kyle, the, the, the big Kyle doesn't like to talk about injuries and so forth. So you try to avoid it just be out of out of respect for his policy and fine. And so I don't necessarily know that they were, they were serious injuries, but he kept guys out. So what are you looking for from the cohesive nature of the offensive line with the, knowing that, you know, it's it's Idaho State, so it's hard to evaluate it, but still what do you want to see? Darren Paulo's been an elite player at left tackle. I think he's first team all Pac-12. Braden Daniels, as a freshman, has been incredible at the left guard spot. He's been very good. Now, they had Paul Tawala in there at center last week. He and Orlando Umana are very good players. They're fine. The big key was Nick Ford playing right guard. He's been playing right tackle. He is a guard. He can play left or right guard. It doesn't matter. But his true fit is at guard, and he's an all Pac-12 level guard. The youth need to figure out the right tackle spot. And, of course, Nick Ford can play tackle, but he should be a guard. The youths are still waiting on some eligibility stuff for Bam Olaseni, but he needs to be in there. Simi Mawala struggled last week at right tackle. A few times he got spun around like the knob on an outhouse door, and you can't do that. you got to keep your feet set. He's new to the offensive line. So not to just focus on the O-line, but what other position group had three new players on it? So. That's a storyline to keep an eye out for. Uh, the issues were not severe against NIU or against Idaho State, but they, they will be severe against this USC defensive front. USC is not a great team right now, but their front seven on defense is pretty good. And that D-line is the second best in the conference. 
Utah's the first best, and I think Utah's D-line might be one of the best in the country. USC's D-line is good, too, though. So you've got to keep an eye out for that, and the Utes are looking for answers. They may have to go to another freshman at tackle if they can't get Bam in there. So uh, I would say the concern is that the Utes have had to shuffle around the O-line twice in two weeks. Remember, against BYU, they shuffled guys around. I want to say Paul Tuwala played guard. Uh, I, I think uh, Paul Miley played guard uh, as well. They had uh, or Johnny Maia, I believe he was in there at guard. So they've had a lot of different guys play that right guard spot. But Nick Ford needs to be the main set. So uh, without going too deep and killing us with the O line talk, I am a little intrigued about why <laughs> a guy could be so good at guard and not at tackle. Does it come down to quickness in space? No, look, Nick Ford's good at tackle. He's better at guard because he has more power. He's better in short area power situations. They call it getting in a fight in a phone booth. That's okay. what playing guard is like. You've got about a foot on either side of you to move around, and you've got to be able to jam guys at the line of scrimmage. He's good at tackle. The issue is Nick, uh, the Utes couldn't find a better guard. If they had a right guard, Nick Ford would still be playing tackle. So that's the concern is that Nick Ford can do both, but they don't have a good enough player at guard. But, yeah, to answer your question, DJ, it's more about the short area quickness and power and burst, and Nick Ford has that. Any concern last Saturday when Julian Backman went out with a little bit of an injury? He came back in, obviously, he got an interception. But the NIU offense attacked where he wasn't and scored a touchdown. Yeah, they did. They, they found Vontae Davis, and uh, he was out of position, and they did make that play. Look, you're playing Division One teams. NIU works out in the offseason. Their coaches get paid. The players are trying hard. You're not just going to blank every opponent. I would venture to guess Utah's defensive line and their, their front seven, they're going to finish in the top ten in the country in stopping the run. NIU could do very little with that, but... Yeah, they made a play. It was a nice throw uh, by Garbers, and they ended up uh, – I think that was when they tied it up at 14. It was a nice play. But, yeah, they, they found a, a bit of a rotation in Utah's secondary. But we talked before this season. The safety spot was the one area of question. You had Blackman and Burgess in there, and they're both good players, but you will need some depth. You mentioned Blackman coming back. He's playing like an all-Pac-12 player. And we saw those instincts before at corner. He was a good player at corner, but the Utes wanted to try him out more as that center fielder. And so, yeah, you got Vontae Davis, who I don't think he played much a year ago. He's a Juco guy. He got out of position. And any team can make you pay. Even Idaho State might make you pay. But, no, I think Utah's corners have been great so far this year. And NIU's got to throw the ball a ton. Idaho State, they're going to try to throw the ball a ton because when you're down – what are you going to do? You're down by a score or two. You're on the road. You can't just run ISO dive plays against this Utah defense. So you do want to see Utah shore that up because in a week you've got to play a USC offense that throws the ball a ton. And USC doesn't have to just throw the ball deep. The nice thing about if you're a USC fan and that receiving core they have is that those guys can turn an out route into a 40-yard play. Michael Pittman Amon Ross St. Brown, these guys, if you miss one tackle, they're going to run for 40 more yards and they're going to score. So that's how USC creates its plays. It's players do it. Their players can break tackles and execute on their own. And that's what they talk about when, when they say a receiver is a playmaker. It means you've got to catch a short ball, break a tackle, and make something happen on your own. The Utes are still waiting for more guys to step up and do that. But looks like Brian Thompson 
could be that guy. He had a big game against NIU, and he created some plays on his own. So when you now that you've seen USC and it's not a huge sample size, and you're obviously you're going to get a peek at him here against BYU, uh, are most teams just going to try to keep the whole game in front of them, drop back, dare him to you know put together ten play drives and all that? Because Riley uh, Riley Jensen was on with us and was talking. I think it was Riley Jensen, maybe it was Riley Nelson, but one of them was saying, "Hey, Stanford went with a lot of man coverage. You know, it's kind of a module. All right, we'll our guys will cover your guys. Yeah, no, they won't. Uh, is that just suicidal is that just a horrible freaking idea no utah's got better athletes in the secondary than stanford and remember usc didn't have much going on in in the early goings keaton slovis was brand new and uh he wasn't that elite player until the second half opened up and if you watch the plays that usc made you know slovis wasn't throwing 40 yard bombs down the middle of the field he was making quick accurate passes and usc's receivers were making stanford pay so to your point, though, DJ, or, or to Riley, any one of the Riley's points, if yeah. I'm Utah, I don't want to just sit back into a zone and let Keaton Slovis make short passes and then just tackle guys because that's what the youth tried to do last year against Washington State, and it backfired. Gardner Minshew made enough plays down the stretch, and there wasn't enough pressure on him from Utah's defense that he did make the right decision. The youths were not able to confuse him. Now, they might feel differently going up against this freshman in Keaton Slovis at USC. And so they will try to confuse him some, but if I'm Morgan Scally, I'm dialing up a ton of pressure. I'm getting the ball out quickly, and I'm trusting that my defense can make tackles. Stanford's not an elite team this year, and they had their backup quarterback in there as well. Something tells me if K.J. Costello was playing in that game, Stanford would have run away with it. So let's not overreact to USC's receivers essentially taking a game over. And what did you make of Stanford's run game? You know, Stanford's got some of the best tight ends in the country, but where are the receivers? Outside of, you know, they, they had J.J. Arcega whiteside last year. He did it all on his own. They don't have him this year. So I'm not convinced that USC is a world beater. However, they're the second best team in the division right now, and that receiving core is very good. But if I'm the youth, I'm sticking with man coverage because that's what they've done for the better part of 25 years. And you've got to get more pressure on Slovis than what Stanford did. So I think that'll be on Utah's D-line. And I think they'll mix in more pressure than what Stanford did. I think Kyle Tyler Huntley has been brilliant. How much of it is Tyler Huntley being brilliant versus the level of competition? Well, the level of competition has been down. And Give Tyler Huntley credit for making the accurate passes. His completion percentage right now is 77%. If the throws are there, he's making the simple throws. I thought the post route, he, I'm sorry, the corner route he threw to uh, Brian Thompson was his best throw of the season this past year. He threw it with confidence, and uh, he, he allowed that play to happen. He should have had two or three more of those against BYU, but there were drops from the tight end, so... Tyler Huntley has been accurate, and he's, been a, uh, he's got a big arm, but we knew that. The problem was, a year ago, they were asking him to throw it 30 and 40 times a game. Now, Andy Ludwig's not doing that. So there's a reason why Tyler Huntley looks so comfortable and so confident. It's because Andy Ludwig is letting him lean on the run game, and Tyler Huntley's still making plays on his own with his legs. I think the Utes had about 150 yards total last week with Zach Moss, with Tyler Huntley, and with Jordan Wilmore. So the run game is elite for the Utes right now, and it's because of Andy Ludwig's ability to 
to rein in Tyler Huntley a little bit. Tyler Huntley's good in short spurts. He needs to throw the ball about 20 times a game. Troy Taylor last year was asking Huntley to throw it. I think he threw it 38 times against Washington in September. It's too much. So the Utes are in a position right now where Tyler Huntley's not having to show much, but when he is, he's making accurate and confident throws. But, yeah, Huntley's a senior. He's in his third year starting. He's bigger and faster and stronger than before, and that confidence is showing. But, yeah, he's going to look good as well against Idaho State. We'll see. He's got to continue to be judicious if he wants to limit those turnovers. But I believe the Utes are the only team in the country without a turnover or a sack right now. So I think you've got to credit Andy Ludwig and Tyler Huntley for being veterans at this point. You know, I went pretty hardcore with that old line question early in the interview, and I'm feeling a little bad about it now, a little disoriented. <laughs> you know how, like, you come out of the pool, you got water in your ear, and nothing sounds right? I've got, I got that kind of thing going on. So, a non-football question, more a fan question, because you hang out with a lot of Ute fans, too. That was not a good crowd at 11 a.m. when the game kicked off, and Kyle said so afterwards, and we've talked about it, and some Ute fans get all defensive, but it just it wasn't a good crowd. There were a ton of empty seats do you think if it's a conference game against a name-brand opponent, especially if it's in November when youth sports is dialed back and people are avoiding an 8.30 November game, they'd be okay with it? Or are 10 and 11 a.m. kickoffs just a lousy idea? I don't mind the 11 a.m. kickoff at times. It would have been better attended had it been a conference game. But do not feel bad making fun of the offensive line. It's a very fun and easy thing to do. Even offensive linemen love doing that. Offensive linemen are like mushrooms. Just keep us in the dark and feed us excrement, and we'll grow, and we'll just do our job. But it's 11 a.m. When are you supposed to crack your first beer at a tailgate? Drinking at 10 a.m., that's rough. Most guys don't do that. So you can get the kids up. I mean, there's soccer games. There's basketball, baseball, things going on. And it was NIU. So, yeah, the attendance was down. But haven't the youth sold out every home game for the last eight seasons or something or ten seasons? The youth fan base has shown up in droves each and every week, but it was a beautiful Saturday at 11 a.m. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Whittingham mentioned the attendance. It's an 11 a.m. game. You want these guys to show up to the tailgate lot at 7 a.m.? That's just that, that's a bit much. So the 11 a.m. kickoff, though, is kind of a, it's an answer to the extreme late-night kickoffs of the Pac-12. The Pac-12 would love a 3.30 p.m. kick. You're not always going to get what you want, though. Sometimes you get what you need. And the Utes were one of the only shows on in town at 11 a.m. But, man, you've got to get yourself dressed for the game three hours before. So the Ute wake-up time was probably 6 a.m. It's a weird adjustment for the players, for the coaches, for the fans. I would look at last week as more of an anomaly. What do you think the slogan the next two weeks? Let me see what you think of this. Slovis. BYU, Utah, back-to-backs, slow the slove. The slove. Uh, slow the slove. I like it. Uh, I, think <laughs> it I, think I think it's more about slowing down USC's receivers. But remember, Keaton Slovis, if you look up his recruiting profile, he had an offer to, I think, Washington State, Vanderbilt, which probably means it was Andy Ludwig at the time who offered him. And, like, you know, Colorado, Colorado State, this is not your typical USC quarterback. So let's read into what this means. Last year the rumor was the players did not like that JT Daniels was just handed the starting job. Now, JT Daniels was elite. I feel like USC asked too much and T. Martin asked too much of that young freshman quarterback. Yeah, he can make these elite throws, but USC's offense was 
based on JT Daniels throwing the deep ball. And I feel like that was asking too much. Then you had Jack Sears and Matt Fink, who the players reportedly rallied around. And then both of those guys get beat out this year by a true freshman. And then Sears and Fink, who have both flirted with transferring. And then at times they both expressed their commitment to USC. My point is there is some drama behind the scenes. USC just had to fire their athletic director. So I feel like this is a house of cards right now. I do not feel like Keaton Slovis winning that job is just like, oh, good for him. He's a good freshman. Yeah, he's a good player, but so was Sears, and so was Fink. There's a lot that Clay Helton has to deal with right now, and I can see USC imploding. I think BYU is going to take them down to the wire. I think USC is going to lose at home to Utah. I think USC is going to lose either to Washington or to Notre Dame, and I think the wheels might start to come off. I thought that's what happened a year ago. I still feel like USC is on the verge of doing that again. But, no, I don't think it's just like uh, like all, all's fair and love and war and Keaton Slovis just beat those guys out. No, I think there's a political game going on behind the scenes with USC, and it backfired a year ago. I'm not confident that USC can just turn it around this year. Kyle Gunther joining us every Friday, part of the Red and the Blue. we got a former Cougar and a former Ute on. Kyle, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. DJ, PK, appreciate you guys. Take care.